You're listening to Malka Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Welcome to another edition of Wasail Alam Sadiqa Truthful News. And Alhamdulillah, this evening uh, we'll be uh, listening to an interview with uh, a well-known uh, editor, uh, commentator, and also uh, a writer. His name is Abdul Bari Atwan. And Alhamdulillah, George Galloway will be setting the scenes before interviewing him. And he says, uh, uh, this is what Abdul Bari Atwan says, that the Palestinians are staying and uh, many other issues uh, that he brings up, which is very relevant uh, today. We'll be listening to that. And inshallah, then uh, we'll have uh, Advocate Muhammad Salim Khan, a senior counsel, calling upon the Ummah and the Muslims of South Africa is calling upon them and you can hear his call and plea what he's telling us to do which will inshallah will hold us in a good stead uh, that was uh, alhamdulillah courtesy of uh, Sirius FM an interview that I could, uh, conducted with him uh, this week so inshallah sit back and enjoy this edition of uh, Truthful News Central Times debunks the whole canard that the resistance in Gaza has something to do with ISIS. No, says the Financial Times. Hamas are more Viet Cong than ISIS. I wonder what happened to the Viet Cong in their struggle. And the Financial Times is backing a ceasefire in Gaza. So is the Pope. So is the overwhelming majority of public opinion just about everywhere in the world but not where it counts, in the chanceries, in the government headquarters, in the presidential palaces. It's genocide as usual. Oh, and World War Three starts at dawn on Friday morning. Ski became a forgotten man. The Ukraine, a forgotten conflict. As four weeks ago only, the entire world was turned to face the issue of Gaza, the Palestinians, and the state of Israel. Another foreign country, another clash uh, between foreigners in two foreign countries, Palestine and Israel, suddenly became not just an article of faith for the faithful, but became an existential issue for Western countries, just as the Ukraine had earlier been painted as one, as the virus, in turn, had been painted as one. Now it is existential for us to strain every might and main, to give every dollar we can, send every weapon we have left, and now send our own service personnel into harm's way in the eastern Mediterranean and indeed in the case of the U.S. Delta Force at least literally into the fighting in Gaza. And it's said that there's a D notice on the British media asking them not to mention the fact that British special forces, it's been said the SAS, are actually fighting in Gaza. How did all of this happen? And happen with such ease and such overwhelming propaganda power. As someone who has been fighting the Palestinian corner for more than 50 years of my life, again, I have to take my hat off at the skill with which the British establishment has convinced 
a big section of the British population, that a group of people who, in the lifetime of many of you watching this show now, not ancient history, murdered British soldiers, hanging them by piano wire in the orange groves of Yaffa, blowing them to pieces in the King David Hotel, almost 100 of them in one single terrorist attack. How a group of people who tried multiple times to murder Winston Churchill when he was fighting Adolf Hitler, who tried to blow up parliament and came closer than Guy Fox was able to do, who tried to blow up the Foreign Office and were stymied only by the sharp eyes of a Spitfire pilot from the Royal Air Force who spotted the threat. A group of people who murdered in cold blood on the street the special envoy of the United Nations, Count Bernadotte of Sweden. A group of people who murdered a man from the House of Lords, Lord Moyne. A group of people, the Jabotinsky, Begin, Shamir, Netanyahu gang, that you would have thought would have been anathema to the British establishment, British political public opinion. By the way, you know that the royal family never once went to Israel until just a few years ago when the Doltish, now King Charles, actually visited the King David Hotel, where all those British people had been slaughtered by the political movement now in power in the state of Israel. You'd think it would be a tough ask to persuade British people that this was the gang of killers that we needed to get behind. But it appears to have worked. You get sacked from your job for tweeting support for a ceasefire. The BBC, Joe Coburn, tells you that the whole of the Jewish community in Britain is made anxious and fearful by people in a railway station in London demanding a ceasefire in a murderous, genocidal frenzy of violence. She forgot to mention that actually almost all the people in the railway station protesting for a ceasefire were themselves Jewish. The BBC gets to speak for Jewish people, you see. And the thousands of Jews in Britain and America denouncing Netanyahu and this murder spree are not allowed to speak at all. They are airbrushed from the picture. The British Home Secretary, that's the Minister of the Interior, very powerful minister, in Britain, a woman called Suella Braverman tells us with no hint of conflict of interest that her husband is an ardent Zionist and close family members of her are fighting now in Gaza with the Israel Defense Force 
She maybe should have said so when she declared it a crime to wear or wave a Palestinian flag on the streets of London. Maybe she should have said that somebody else should have announced that henceforth wearing a kafia, as hundreds of thousands of young people do in the United Kingdom, could now get you arrested as some kind of manifestation of hate. Now, that's a measure of how the British state, its broadcaster, every single one of its newspapers, especially the rancid rag called The Guardian, that once built an audience on its sensibility to the Palestinian feelings, Palestinian suffering, Palestinian history has now wheeled and turned and is now firmly in the Netanyahu camp like every other British newspaper. It's quite a performance. If you're a recording artist, you'll be cancelled. If you breathe a word of sympathy for the Palestinian people who are, as I speak, on the receiving end of a genocidal mass murder of a kind not seen since the Second World War, not seen since the uprising of the Jews in the Warsaw Ghetto who decided that they could no longer breathe under this Nazi persecution, murder, hunger, thirst. People running 20 from uh, the camps, the refugee camps in Gaza. He rose to be the most famous journalist in the entire Arab world. There was a time when he was the last journalist standing in the Arab world, although that thankfully has changed. And now there are many, many heroic Arab journalists, particularly in Palestine. He, for a time, was called the last Arab, but he isn't that now either. There are many Arabs now, Arabs to be proud of, as I know he is. Abdelbari Atwan, welcome back to the mother. Take a moment to talk about uh, the camp that we both know so well, Jabalia camp. Describe it and describe what happened to it, please. You know, Jabalia camp is one of the poorest camps in Gaza Strip. And, uh, you know, it is uh, really, really, uh, you know, uh, just uh, full of children, full of uh, mothers, full of ladies. So I was really shocked when the Israeli bombed this camp. It is very na narrow alley um, alleyways and the people are really, st people are, you, in one room you will find 10 people living there or a little bit less. So it is, it is a, a torture 
to be in these camps. But the people uh, are really trying to survive despite the Israeli sanction, the Israeli cage, as you mentioned it several times, uh, George. They, they try to survive at least, but they have full faith that one day they will go back to Palestine. They will go back to their towns, to their villages, uh, to their, you know, uh, uh, village, yes, uh, so in, in Palestine, real Palestine, uh, personally, I am from uh, Asdud, which is on the Mediterranean. It's now the biggest city on uh, uh, Israel, as they call it. So people are really suffering. Imagine 500 people were bombed by the Israeli. Simply, as you mentioned, George, they, they were trying to kill one man from Hamas. We don't know whether, whether this is true or not. I believe it is fabricated in order to justify this massacre. So it is not only uh, Jabalia, it is also the Nusayrat, which is another camp in the middle of Gaza, was bombed. It is also in Brej, it is also in uh, Gaza itself, in Salah Din streets. So massacres everywhere. When, yet to be honest, I stopped uh, trying to know, to look at the television, because every time I do, there are massacres, hospitals, imagine that. I'll Ahli hospital were bombed by the Israeli, and about again 400 people were killed. Most of them were children. I couldn't look at the bodies, at the corpse of the children, which is all babies actually massacred by the Israeli, whether in Jabalia, whether in uh, 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 Ahli hospitals, or anywhere in the Gaza Strip. It is death everywhere. I lost um, tens of my families there. You know, so whenever I call or I receive a call there, internet was cut off completely but when they have five minutes they call me and they tell me uh, every time there is very very sorry news honestly about death about which which is a disaster by all means why they are doing that where the international community where the free world where the american <clears throat> where the values of human rights which they were lecturing us all the time you arabs you don't understand you muslims you don't understand you know we are the the heroes of the uh, you know free words and the values of human rights so look I'm, I'm really shocked what happened to the west george what happened to the west why until now after 27 days of bombardment of gaza which it is 350 square miles why until now the american saying no ceasefire britain saying no ceasefire Germany saying no ceasefire. You know what it means? It means you know to give the Israeli the green lights to kill, to massacre all the, of Gaza. They couldn't transfer them to Sinai in Egypt and actually clear the, the Gaza Strip completely from them. The story. And nobody is caring. Nobody is paying attention at all. Hospital run out of, of, of uh, medicine. You know, a, a, a cousin who is a doctor told me we actually practice operation on people and children without anesthetic, simply because there is no anesthetic. And poor people, poor patients, 
crying, crying from pain. Other things, you know, the, the Israelis are telling the hospitals, no, you should clear out completely. We don't want you here. We don't want anybody here. What they are going to do with the patient people? What they are going to do with those people who are suffering, who are injured, who are actually, yeah, they have a lot of diseases. Where to go there? To, to throw them where? Have you ever seen somebody saying you have to clear the hospital from patient? The Israelis are doing it. Have you ever seen, you know, uh, the, uh, yeah, the, the, there are people or army or civilized country, the only democracy in the, in the Middle East, bombing hospital? Have you or bombing people who took refuge in the hospitals, on the schools of the UNRWA, United Nations Organization? I am really asking. I am I'm really shocked, George. Honestly, I never expected that. I never, you know, I never thought I will live to the day to see the hospital bombed. The, uh, you know, patients are thrown out of their beds. So tell me, have you, you know, we, we are maybe close, we are the same age. Have you ever heard of something like this? Well, what I never heard of was an occupier uh, which calls itself the victim. Uh, and in that, I, I share it with the great Israeli writer Gideon Levy, whose words I've just quoted. Never in history has there been an occupier that tried to portray itself as the victim. We'll come back to the West, Abdul Bari, uh, but I want to talk about the East. Uh, I want to talk about what the Eastern governments are doing. Uh, the Israelis have offered Egypt to pay off their debt, which is $20 billion, if they will take all the population of Gaza. But of course, the population of Gaza will not leave Gaza in any case to become refugees again. But it's an extraordinary offer that they made to them. Uh, the uh, Turkish government is still allowing Israel's oil supplies, 40% of Israel's oil is supplied by Turkey from Azerbaijan in a pipeline across Turkey, could be switched off at any moment. And whilst little countries in Latin America thousands of miles away, are kicking out Israeli ambassadors, breaking <clears throat> diplomatic relations with Israel, Colombia, Chile, Bolivia. There are still Arab countries with Israeli ambassadors sitting in their capitals and still full political and diplomatic relations with them. So we'll come back to the West, but what about the East? Yes. To be honest, you characterize, you describe the what's happening among these uh, rotten government in the Middle East, you know, uh, because those people are under the American domination, under the American pressure. Look at Turkey, for example, when they tried to rebel against the American, what they did to them? They destroyed their, uh, you know, currency, the, the lira there. So uh, the same thing happened in Egypt. When the Egyptians actually say, no, I can't do that, uh, you know, they punished them. They stopped financial aids to them. And they actually create in internal problems to depose them. But they shouldn't 
actually submit to this American pressure. They should do as the South American honorable leaders there did. They said to the Israeli, you are criminal. You are killing people. You are massacring people. We cannot have you here. Go home. That's what happened. Even it's not their home. It is my home. Um, it is our, our, our Palestinian home. You know, we are there. We were kicked from there 75 years ago. We were forced to leave. So, but now there is awakening, George. There is awakening in the Arab streets on in the Arab actually uh, people now revolting. And I am telling you, you know, Gaza will change the map of the Middle East. I mean, the, the barbaric way of treating the Gazan people, the mass massacring them, uh, ethnic cleansing them, will change the whole of the Middle East. In 1948, Israel was established on our account. And the Arab regimes uh, actually sided with the British in that time, British colonized at that time. But, and then they were military coup. I expect the same thing could be repeated. People are so angry, so frustrated. There are thousands of people actually massed on the Jordanian border with Iraq. And they want to go and storm the uh, Jordanian-Israeli borders in order to fight with the Palestinians. So the Africans, God bless them, kicked the French out of Africa and Burkina Faso and Mali and uh, you know so in, in Niger so uh, simply because they could not uh, live with exploitation of their wealth to and uh, send it to France the same thing will happen in the Middle East now people realize that these regimes like the African corrupt regimes and they should go so I expect revolutions like what happened after 1948 Nakba so now the Middle East is boiling and the Israeli actually responsible for this. You know, they signed Oslo Agreement 30 years ago on the loan of the middle end of the White House and the, the, offering the Palestinians this kind of agreement, offering the Palestinians a homeland, a state. 30 years of negotiation and no state at all, but more massacres against the Palestinians and a plan to transfer the, the to 2 million of Gazan to Sinai. Egyptian government could not take them, said, no, why shall we take 2,000 people? Why should they, why should we uproot them completely from their territories, from their Gaza? And Gaza actually is not a paradise. Gaza, you know, is, is a cage, as you mentioned it several times. But despite that, people would like to stay in Gaza. They don't want to leave Gaza at all. They don't want to go anywhere on earth. And I have a cousin there, and I phoned him, and he's very intellectual. He said, listen, you know, the Israeli wanted to do two things by their bombardment. One thing is to release the hostages, as they call them, and the second thing is to destroy Hamas. So they killed more than 8,500 8, people on Gaza in order to achieve those aims. And they did not at all. Did not, as you mentioned, half of them children, babies. So, and the other thing is, they want to transfer the Gazan people to where? Because there are gas underneath Gaza, and they want to exploit this gas. It is, it is greedy. So, I believe Middle East will be changed, and I wouldn't be surprised if this actually war enlarged and other people join uh, the Hamas in this war, like Hezbollah, like uh, the popular. Uh, uh, like, for example, the Yemenis and many people, Syrian. So 
is the Israeli will be happy after that? Blinken, who is visiting the Israeli, saying, I am not visiting Israel as a, a, you know, a, a foreign minister of the United States. I am, foreign, I am visiting Israel as a Jew. Imagine that. You're supposed to be, you're supposed to be the American foreign minister. You're supposed to be belonging to a, a modern country, a free country. Why did you uh, characterize it as a sectarian job for you? Let us live together without saying this is Jew, this is Muslim, this is Christian. And there is a chance to, if we, you know, apply the international legality. But never. Finally, I would like to say this in this part. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked to see that in, in Western world, Western countries, I mean government, saying that the Israeli has the right of defense, to defense themselves. To defense yourself, it was translated unsupported by this government in Europe and the United States, it was translated to commit massacres, to commit ethnic cleansing. So well, this is self-defense to kill children. What did the children do to the Israelis? Did they kill the Israelis? You know, the babies killed the Israeli and other things. Did you give the, Amer the German Nazi the right of self-defense, for example, when they occupied France and occupied other European countries? Tell me, so why usually, why don't you give the Palestinian the right of self-defense? Why you don't help them? Why you didn't, don't help those civilians? Why the AIDS, I mean human AIDS, was delayed for more than three weeks before it reached Gaza and reached the people people? Honestly, George, I'm telling you, well, there is no water. Wallahi, there is no water. There is no food. There is no medicine. Nothing in Gaza. And they are talking about human rights and they are talking about dignity and they are talking about justice. Abdul Bari Atwan, thanks as always. I fear we'll have to be talking again. Yes, sir, people, Gaza undergoing uh, such a you know siege there. The Palestinians in Gaza have had to endure decades of violence and uh, oppression, including a 16-year uh, you know blockade by Israel and Egypt. Egypt also complicit in a lot of the suffering that, that our brothers and sisters and the, our little babies and children that, uh, you know, underwent the besieged enclave of uh, 365 square kilometers. Uh, Gaza is undergoing, you know, undoubtedly its worst oppression, carnage, ethnic cleansing and genocide. Hospitals are struggling to cope under a complete siege. No electricity, no clean water, limited supplies of, uh, you know, overflowing uh, with patients, with thousands killed and many more injured. Gaza at any cost must not be abandoned at this critical time. We make duas and whatever we could do, we, may, we need to do about that uh, for, for them. I recall, you know, many years ago, uh, it was uh, uh, CI radio that uh, brought in a doctor. And this was the doctor Madza, Madza Gilbert, uh, who came to South Africa. And in the coming days, I think uh, he'll be coming to South Africa by a, uh, you know, sister Islamic uh, media. And uh, they will uh, be, he'll be talking about uh, the dire situation in Gaza and more importantly, how best, uh, you know, uh, we can help uh, Gaza and the people of Palestine. Dr. Madza Gilbert is uh, highly experienced in Gaza 
uh, medical care facilities uh, during crisis. And he's uh, no stranger to the Al-Shifa Hospital. He's an authority on the political dynamics and the oceans of injustice and oppression that's facing Gaza. And uh, alhamdulillah, you try and follow that story. And perhaps uh, we could get an interview with uh, Dr. Maz uh, Gilbert on uh, Truthful uh, News, inshallah. I'm sure we can do that. But, uh, you know, this is something to look forward to. And, uh, you know, I, I remember it was uh, maybe yeah, we gave them two ambulances and so forth. And it was, uh, he actually, is, I think the hospital was bombed at the, that time when he was there. But he was uh, one of the survivors. But he told you about the inhumane uh, suffering of that they uh, uh, they, they had to bear the hands of this uh, Zionist uh, regime. So, no, they're not stopping. Uh, it, year in and year out, this is uh, undoubtedly after we heard our brother there talking to us uh, with uh, George Galloway. And, uh, you know, he was talking about uh, how it is the gas that is there. They want to clear the whole uh, Gaza out so that they can uh, get their plans going through there. It's all about the Fulus and offering... Um, to pay out the debts for Egypt, uh, that was, uh, you know, amazing. They said, we clean your debts out. Uh, the only thing you need to do is to allow uh, the Gazan to come and uh, live there in uh, Egypt or in the Sinai. And uh, this is absolutely mind-boggling how these people work and, you know, have uh, no care, nothing for, uh, you know, the uh, lives of human beings. But, uh, yeah, they got that you know, that idea of even asking Egypt that, because Egypt uh, has uh, shown a soft underbelly when it came uh, to the Palestinian issue and the type of uh, leadership it has now. We also know is a very weak one, but uh, because of uh, the fear of the majority of the people, what they can do if the entire Egypt uprise, if there's an uprising, Mr. Sisi knows he's got no chance whatsoever. Yes, uh, next up, inshallah, We'll be, uh, he, uh, you know, we'll be hearing a plea from Advocate uh, Salim Khan, Senior Counsel, and he's calling upon the Muslims. There's something to think about, and, you know, this is how the dunya is. We're living in the world of, uh, the world is a shadow of a cloud and a dream of a sleep. And he that walks on the surface of this earth will one day get into his belly. And alhamdulillah, that time of the morning, where we are joined by Advocate uh, Salim Khan, Advocate Salim Khan, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And tell me, how are you doing this beautiful morning? Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Shafat, by the grace of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm well. Great to have you, and alhamdulillah, you know, you're making a valid point indeed. Where are those leaders? Where are those people in our country to talk out and to, you know, uh, motivate the Ummah and tell them? Beware of certain groupings, beware of certain parties who are showing their true colors, and beware of those Zionists that are prevalent in our societies. But it seems that, you know, we don't have, uh, some of us don't have the guts to call a spade a spade, uh, Advocate Salim Khan. Inshallah, you're going to concentrate the Ummah on some of the thoughts that are running through your mind, and you have penned down, you know, a lovely brief for the Ummah. Talk to us about this, and... Uh, Allah bless you for it. Bismillah. Bismillah rahman rahim Shafat, it is obligatory upon every Muslim to openly resist all forms of injustice. And it often eventuates that the opportunity does not avail itself 
to openly resist. For example, we know that the battle is being waged in Palestine and it's well nigh impossible, if not extremely difficult, for us to openly resist in the sense of physically participating in the battle that is in progress at present. The battle for justice from the perspective of the Palestinian people, our brothers and sisters. And should that opportunity not avail itself, as it does not to many of us around the world, then we expected at least to speak out against this form of injustice, in the very least. It is for that reason that I circulated a text message requesting our alims, our imams, and every Muslim to speak out against this form of injustice. And if there is difficulty there, we must take into account the fact that people have dif different qualities, some who are more expressive and others who are more passive and more retiring. Should one be unable to actually speak out, then one must experience feelings of disgust, a form of silent resistance. Ashfa, we must try and provide solutions for our fellow Muslims. Whichever category one fits into, the first category being the ability to openly resist, the second to speak out, and, and thirdly, silent resistance, one can contribute in some way or the other. So, for example, we call upon our alims and our imams who have the ear of the people on the ground. Muslims and non-Muslims alike. We ask them to call upon people to adopt measures that will at least contribute and support the resistance which our brothers and sisters have embarked upon in Palestine. Now, alims and imams are very well placed during the Juma congregational prayer, uh, which is characterized by a talk, which is preceded by a talk. I think our alims and our imams should frequently urge Muslims to engage in conduct, which is tantamount at least to speaking out and to expressing silent resistance. Now, how is one able to engage in a form of passive resistance if one does not have the opportunity of openly resisting? For example, let us dissociate ourselves from all those sources of assistance for these Zionist forces that are perpetrating all these massacres, you know, these, these acts of, of, of degradation which travel to the very depths of degradation. The, the adjectives escape me, and I'm sure escape most people. The, the acts, the conduct are so heinous, so repulsive, that any form of, of adjective that would not do justice to this type of, of dehuman conduct, of massacring little children, babies. And I must add, Shafat, 
there's been sufficient publicity to indicate that not only are the Muslims the targets of this type of heinous conduct, it's also Christians. So little children and civilians, unarmed men, women, our fathers, our mothers, our sisters are falling victim to these missile attacks. So our imams, our alims should move people to dissociate themselves from all types of conduct which contribute to the type of heinous conduct that's being perpetrated by the Zionists in Palestine. And the one would be to withdraw all forms of support for political parties, for example, that are sympathetic with the Zionist cause, all political parties across the, the spectrum. And check exactly who they are, the DA, for example, and other political parties. There's sufficient publicity being generated to inform the public of who these political parties are. Secondly, do not purchase Israeli products. Because by purchasing Israeli products, you're assisting those who market those products, those to produce those products, and you're therefore indirectly supporting the Zionist, the, 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 the Zionist movement and therefore collaborating with the type of massacre that is being perpetrated at present. But Shafat, one must not underrate and one cannot understate mm. the impact which that will have. Every cent that these Jewish marketers are deprived of adds to the millions and the accumulation of the billions and has an enormous effect on the economies. So war is waged not only physically, it can be waged economically. And what I'm asking us to do is to follow the guidance of our beloved Prophet Muhammad Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi and this emanates from Allah Subhanahu Wa and that is openly resist if we can. And if we cannot, then speak out against the injustice. And if we cannot do that, then let us engage in silent resistance. But there are ways and means, and I've indicated two ways and means, and I believe that our alims and our imams should educate the congregational masses whom they have the ability to influence. And whatever I'm suggesting, Shafat, is entirely lawful. There is nothing unlawful in my suggestions. You know, I'm looking at a message on the screen and it says, uh, Assalamu alaikum, uh, Brother Shafat. Uh, great chat over the advocates of Salim Khan, someone uh, that I respect and admire. But I would like to tell uh, the, the Honorable uh, Salim Khan that when it comes uh, to the Imams, they make all the du'as, but uh, they don't even address this issue when it comes to Jumma Qutbah. I'd like to do a survey and see how many of them spoke about Gaza. I'm uh, afraid to tell you maybe only 1%. Why is this so? Perhaps our advocate can tell us also. Uh, how do you respond to the to that caller there? Shafat, here again, there is a duty on all of us to contribute. This program, for example, is a contribution to the cause. 
our brother who sent you the message can himself contribute to the cause. We must speak to our imams, and where we find that there's deficiencies, we must uh, express this to them. We must approach our jamiats and ask our jamiats to uh, guide imams. It's commonly known that um, there is a system through which um, imams are circulated among the different masjids. You'll find that uh, certain imams uh, are deputed to present the, the Juma lecture at, 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 at different massages. There's a system of control. So the Jamiat can likewise disseminate the request that imams address the matter pertaining to to, to Gaza and, and address it from a purely Islamic perspective in which our imams are adequately and well qualified. You see, where there is a failing, then we must gently guide and, and, and um, in the process uh, encourage unity, unity of cause, unity of purpose, and in that way achieve the goal and aim which we seek especially now during the troubled times we must unite in order to try and assist our brothers in palestine in whatever manner we can and i would i would recommend that perhaps we approach the jamiats we approach approach our alims we approach uh, our imams and request them to focus more intensely on the topic especially as it is our duty to do so Look at this message from Habib. He says, uh, great chat indeed, uh, but what we need to do is uh, locally, most of us are, you know, not united, and uh, there are a lot of hypocrites around the world. I hope I am not one. But I also want to tell you that uh, because we are compromised, our leadership in the Muslim world is compromised, we cannot get this thing off the ground because we are too busy picking on each other. But the advocate is making a great point indeed. But I'm sad to tell you, you're going to find it very hard to achieve. How you respond to Habib there, uh, Advocate Salim Khan? Habib makes a very valid point, Shafat. But remember, Allah SWT guides us through our beloved Prophet Muhammad Rasulullah There are three choices. One, openly resist. And we know that the opportunity does not present itself to most of us. If we were in Palestine, we'd be fighting with the Palestinians, uh, with our Palestinian brothers and sisters, that opportunity does not avail itself. Then what else do we do? We speak out. Now, Brother Habib has spoken out. You have spoken out. I have spoken out. Uh, many an alim, many an imam has spoken out. So we continue speaking out. And then what else do we do? Passive resistance. Don't vote for those political parties that align themselves to this type of heinous conduct. Firstly, no one knows. No one is going to know. So this is silent resistance. And then again, don't buy Jewish products. No one is going to know that you're not buying Jewish products. But the impact and the effect is going to be felt. So I recognize the fact that not everyone's alike. Some people are more expressive, others less expressive. The purpose of this talk Shafad, is to encourage people in whatever way they can to contribute to the cause, resist in one way or the other. And every one of us can do it. Yeah, looking at another message, you really got the people thinking this morning, Advocate Saab. Uh, Tofik says, uh, what about that Hurwitz lady in uh, Norwood? She went berserk. She's a thoroughbred Zionist. It seems when you talk to Zionists, they look with you like a psychopath. 
Uh, how you respond to the Tofik uh, advocate? Well, Tofik a Zionist by definition is indeed someone who is completely and totally misguided. There's been a lot of publicity relating to protest marches by Jews against the Zionist cause. Thousands have marched. Thousands of Jews have, have expressed dissent with the Zionist cause, with the conduct of Zionists. In fact, they've indicated that that the, genos the genocide has to has to cease because this will otherwise culminate in Jews being labelled the cause of genocide when when Zionists are in fact the, the cause of such a genocide. Sister Tofik says, Zionism by its very definition, a Zionist by his or her very definition, uh, is one who indeed is completely and totally misguided. Yes, and uh, looking at this question, it says, uh, how do you read uh, the South African government? Uh, are they talking to us in folk tongues? It is believed that they also supplying uh, arms and ammunition uh, to Israel and playing the game with uh, Biden and company. Um, uh, Advocate Saab, what's your take on that? Well, the position is this. The ANC government, um, and indeed the ANC political party, you know, there is a distinction, and the uh, EFF have aligned themselves to the Palestinian cause. I can't say the same for the other parties. Clearly, DA uh, is completely Zionist in its orientation, and certain other political parties I've, I've seen um, messages that have been disseminated, text messages, uh, which indicates that several other political parties have aligned themselves with the Zionist move. It might be the DA's influence. I'm not entirely sure. But as to whether the South African government is supplying arms to Israel, I, I, I have no personal information of this. I'm not privy to that information. But should there be such a reliable information, then I think that ought to be uh, furnished to our community leaders, and our community leaders should then take up the cudgels with the government. But remember, you know, there are rumors and there are factually correct reports. Where there is information that can be verified, then certainly furnish it to me. I will take up the cudgel with, with, with the government because if this is what in fact is happening, that the government is secretively supplying arms to uh, the Israeli government, but clearly is indicating support with the Palestinian cause, then this is something on which it should be indicted. But furnish the information with verification, and I will act on it. Iqbal says, uh, Bruce Chef, uh, please uh, bring uh, advocates uh, Salim Khan and uh, many other politicians on to this panel and have a panel discussion. And we should name and shame uh, those uh, politicians that uh, fall uh, or, or fall into the hands of uh, the opposition to Islam and uh, those are pro-Zionist 
Please, Advocate Salim Khan, give us your words. We would uh, like to hear that. And also, please uh, tell uh, us about uh, the Muslim parties that are in uh, Parliament. Are they potent or are they impotent? Uh, how do you respond to Iqbal? Iqbal, politics is generally described as a highly questionable activity. It often happens that where the majority political party is in need of support, the minority parties will lend support, will vote in favor of the majority political party for certain favors which the minority parties will then receive in matters pertaining to themselves. So it is a matter of, of balancing, unfortunately, oftentimes honor and integrity are compromised. In so far as uh, a Muslim political party is concerned, there's all types of publicity relating to the Al-Jamaa party. There are those who are highly critical of the Al-Jamaa party and they say that the Al-Jamaa party is not truly representative of Muslims and um, have compromised uh, Islamic ideals and principles. And then there are others who actually vote for the Al-Jamaa party and who support the Al-Jamaa party. It is uh, a difficult and extremely difficult question. One cannot claim, and this is the truth of the matter, one cannot claim to have a truly Islamic party that is completely dedicated to the cause of Sharia. You do not have it. Uh, the question is, can such a political party exist? Or would it exist in the political climate the way it is and, and politics being what it is in South Africa and internationally. I suppose it can because we must follow the sunnah of our beloved Prophet Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and we know he was the best politician, he was the best ruler, he was he was the best in everything and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed him with this capacity. So as Muslims we are expected to follow our beloved Prophet Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu wasallam. And if we align ourselves to the Islamic cause and enter politics uncompromisingly, in other words, with the clear intention to advance the cause of Sharia and the cause of Muslims and not to compromise ourselves, and not to neutralize our stance in any way whatsoever, then indeed there would be the capacity to have a political party that is a truly representative Muslim party, a true Islamic party. But until such time that there's compromise and there's diluting of Islamic principles and of Sharia, one cannot claim to be a party that is truly representative of Muslims and truly representative of Islam. Alhamdulillah, you know, I didn't expect her to get this response. Let's make this the last one, Yusuf. Uh, Mohammed says, how, lo how strong is the Muslim lobby in uh, South African uh, politics? Because uh, we as human humanitarians, we are number one. We are big sponsors of, uh, I know, many other things, even some politicians. But as a lobby group, uh, do we have any chance or are we... Uh, making a difference in uh, South African politics. It's a good question from Mohammed. Mohammed, indeed, like all the other questions, this too is a very good question. Mohammed, I would not be on air 
if I did not believe that the Muslim lobby is significant and material. First, make a very valid point. When one looks at feeding schemes, when one looks at humanitarian contributions or, or, or contributions to humanitarian causes, for example, if there is some disaster, who contributes to this? Who contributes to the poor? It's Muslim. What is that indicative of? That's indicative of the Muslim financial capacity. So remember, short of physical participation in the battle that is being waged by our Palestinian brothers and sisters, there is the economic siege. And this is why I called upon restraint from purchasing Jewish products, a boycott of Jewish products. Will that have any effect? Indeed, because the Muslims wield a phenomenal influence economically on our economy. And should Muslims withdraw their support for Jewish products, that is a factor that will be felt. Look at our, our wholesale outlets, for example. I'm not going to mention names, but there's one comes to mind, which sells, for example, a particular product, a cool drink, in quantities larger than what the manufacturer sells. And this is a Muslim outlet. So if that one Muslim outlet, for example, did not patronize a Jewish product together with all other Muslims, that will have a serious and severe impact on the profitability of the production of that product. So certainly, the Muslim lobby is a very significant and a material lobby from an economic perspective. And, 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 and from a support-based perspective, remember, what I'm encouraging is this, that we Muslims speak to our friends from other religions and other religious groups and explain to them the unfairness, the inequity, the careless conduct that our, our advisors should be motivated and supported by our conduct. So our conduct must align itself with the advice we give, must align itself with the message we, 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 we um, distribute. Uh, the message that we that we send out and resistance will be a material resistance which inshallah will contribute to the cause and remember we come back again to what Allah subhanahu requires and that is openly resist or speak out or experience feelings of disgust silence silent resistance all of us my brothers and sisters all of us can do all three of those, then if not all three of those, at least two of those, and if not two of those, at least one of those. And that would be our jihad, inshallah. Inshallah. Brilliant, uh, as usual. Your parting words uh, before we let you go. I say, let us follow and hold firm 
to the Holy Quran in Majid and to the Sunnah of our beloved Prophet Muhammad Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and we will never be misguided. Advocate Salim Khan really enjoyed your company this morning on Sirius FM. You added value to broadcasting and you also added to the thinking capacity of many here. And we thank the listeners for. We'll talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa rahmatullahi wa Well, well, well. Will you take up the advice? Uh, will you take up the challenge? Will you boycott? Will you, uh, you know, keep away from certain stores where, you know, you found it convenient and you go there for many years, but you get to know that uh, they're trying, the, uh, they are showing the true colors and uh, what you're looking around you, you know, the children being massacred, uh, the, the genocide being perpetrated, and uh, then you find uh, certain uh, Western countries, uh, oh, most of them, uh, complicit to what's happening uh, to our brothers and sisters there in uh, Palestine. And, uh, you know, maybe the banking system, the type of bank you go to, uh, will compromise you in this sense uh, that they are supporting uh, this genocide there. And uh, will you go and talk to your non-Muslim neighbor and tell them about what's going on? Because most are captured and perhaps some of uh, the people in the Ummah need to be conscientized also. Some will say, you know, uh, you know, it, it will affect my business and this will happen to me and my uh, uh, income will come. But when it comes to fighting in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, we need to have implicit faith in our creator or maker or sustainer, remembering the eyes of the noble Quran Wallahu khayru razikin. You know, Allah is the best of providers. And if you have that type of implicit faith, your rosy and whatever comes to you comes from undreamed sources because of your implicit faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You make the effort and all these, uh, you know, you either going to compromise yourself and become a glorified manager of the Zionist conglomerates. And, uh, you know, they you're also compromising, you're compromised in a very big way because they control you, they patrol you, and they dictate to you. And, you know, you find uh, that uh, certain members uh, of the Ummah that are part of a party which is a pro-Israel, uh, a pro-Zionist, and when they're opening their mouth, they're getting censored. Yeah, the censor body is on on them, and I wonder how they will react. But, uh, you know, Allahu Alam, Allah keep us all on the straight and narrow, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us with the true understanding of being those that will do you know, that will do things that will please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala most. And uh, once again, I'd like to thank uh, Lukolo for top engineering uh, this evening. Keep it locked on to Marcus Sahaba for beautiful programming and lovely nashis interspersed. From the team and I, till we meet you again, we bid you, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.